Well, good morning, everyone. How are we all? Amazing. That was such a cool video. Good job, Allison and Zach. That was really cool. Hey, well, I wanted to, before we do anything, I actually want to turn back to Pastor Jim a minute and just thank him as our senior pastor. I remember, I said this first service too, but I was born into this church, so I remember well when you and your family moved to West Michigan, and you brought with you your little son, Micah, and I was the first one to kind of befriend him. And so it's because of you that I have a best friend and because of your faithfulness to God's call that many of us have a church family. So why don't we just thank Pastor Jim. Well, you need to take a minute and pat yourself on the back because if you're watching online or here in the room, you have been to church every single service this year or every Sunday this year, rather. Good job. So we've got a new year. We've also got a new series called Faith Forecast. We're going to be forecasting and looking into all of the things you are going to deal with or some of the things in regards to your faith this 2021. I'm excited for that. And I can promise you it's not going to be a forecast like a Michigan weatherman where you're like, should I go to the beach and have a picnic or do I need to pack snow pants, right? <laughs> this is going to be good stuff and I'm excited. I get to start out not just this series but this year forecasting and talking about God, the God destiny on your life in 2021. Now, I know that the word destiny can sometimes throw us, it sounds a bit weird. However, Allison and I work with high school students, and so I know that the average high school student hears this phrase like 17,342 times their senior year, and that's this. I'm sure you've asked this before. What are your plans after high school, <laughs> right? I always feel kind of bad because I feel like it's kind of a loaded question because when someone asks, what are you going to do after high school, they don't just mean like, are you going to go to college, yes or no. They really mean, are you going to go to college? If so, where are you going to go? And then after that, what career are you going to choose? And what color hair is your spouse going to have? And how many kids are you going to have? And where do you want to be buried when you die, by the way? <laughs> right? It's almost like it presupposes that as a high school senior, you've got your whole destiny figured out. Destiny can be a hard thing to pinpoint. What I do know is this. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have an incredible call, incredible destiny on your life. Your God is a good God who knows the plans he has for you in there to prosper you and not to harm you. So I'm excited to speak into that this morning. I want to give you just three points to help you walk in the direction of that God destiny in your life. I want to make you aware of the detours to your destiny, first of all. And then I want to wake you up to the destiny that God has for you. And then thirdly and finally, I want to help you use what God has already placed in your hands to get you in the direction of that destiny. Does that sound good to everyone? Amazing. It sounds good to like one of you. Does that sound good to everyone? <laughs> cool. Hey, let's pray as we jump in. Dear God, we thank you so much just for another morning to come around your word, God. What a privilege that is. God, would you speak to us this morning? Holy Spirit, would you use me to minister to people's hearts? God, I just pray for open ears and open hearts in this room and on the other end of that camera. God, would this not just be information, but transformation in our lives this morning. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Well, if you've got a Bible, I forgot to start my timer. Does that mean my time starts now? Extra 10 minutes? Amazing. <laughs> hey, if you've got a Bible, turn to Exodus 2 with me. We're going to go through the life of Moses through Exodus chapters 2, 3, and 4. And if you're like, wow, that's a lot of Bible reading. I don't know what your New Year's resolutions were, 
me and like six of my friends started a new plan called the 30-Day Shred. And we are reading through this entire book in 30 days. So since January 1st, I've read like 104 chapters. I'm already like almost through Leviticus. So you are just lucky. You can thank me that we're not going through all of Exodus this morning. Just Exodus 2, 3, and 4. So we're going through the life of Moses. But before we do that, we have to take a step back and look at the Israelites, God's chosen people. The Israelites, where I'm going to start telling you about them, they find themselves in a tough spot because all of the land is experiencing a massive famine. Everyone is starving, except for the people in Egypt. That's because God chose one Israelite named Joseph, and he sent him ahead into Egypt. He warned him of the famine that was to come, and because of that, Joseph was able to prepare Egypt and stock it up for the coming famine, and the Egyptians are eating good. Not only that, they're providing for everyone else. So the Israelites, which was only 70 of them at the time, immigrate to Egypt for their survival, really, so they can eat. That's where we find them. And then the Pharaoh dies. Joseph dies. And a new Pharaoh comes to power, and the Bible tells us that this Pharaoh had no respect for Joseph. He, he didn't know him, he didn't care. And at the same time, the Israelites begin to multiply greatly. This new Pharaoh sees this mass of Israelites and sees them as a threat. And he thinks, what if they decide to rebel? Surely they could overthrow Egypt. And so he does the only thing he can think. He begins to oppress them with hard labor. But the Bible says in Exodus 1, it says, the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So he thinks of plan B. He calls in all the Israelite midwives, and he tells them, if an Israelite woman has a baby, and you're helping to deliver it, if it's a girl, let it live. But if it's a boy, kill the baby. Now, the Israelite women, they, midwives, they honored God, and so they disobey this commandment, and then they tell Pharaoh a little white lie when he calls them to him and says, why is this not happening? They tell Pharaoh this. Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. Kind of a slap in the face to the Egyptian women, right? They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. And because of that, God blesses the midwives and allows them to have children as well. And so you're wondering if it's ever justifiable to lie? That's an excellent question, and you can ask Pastor Jim after this message. <laughs> Throw you under the bus with that ethical dilemma there. But he blesses them. And so Pharaoh's plan B doesn't work, so he thinks, what do I do? They're still having baby boys. The Israelites are still multiplying. They're still a threat. I know what I'll do. Plan C. If an Israelite baby boy is born, you must throw it into the Nile River and kill it. That's harsh. Now not just are we killing the baby boys, now you're subjecting them to drowning, to all of the wild animals that are in the Nile River, to the currents, to the rocks. This is brutal. He's literally drowning infants. Now imagine, especially if you've been pregnant before, imagine what it would have been like to be some point in your nine-month expectancy pregnancy period and then to have an executive order come out that if you end up having a baby boy, you must throw your child into the river and end their life. How traumatic and stressful would that have been if you're an Israelite woman who was pregnant? But in the Bible, when a society started killing babies, God followed it with revival. Let me give you an example. 
An evil Pharaoh makes a decree that all of the baby boys must be thrown into the river and killed. So what does God do? I love this. He literally reaches into the Nile River and pulls out a baby boy and raises him up as the leader of the nation who then ushers in a spiritual revival, which he will call his chosen people. Let me give you another example. An evil king says all of the baby boys two years or younger must be killed. Why? Because he's threatened. What does God do? He literally writes him into the story, not as an adult who's safe, but as a baby boy in the form of Jesus and saves the world, saves us from our sin and ushers in a spiritual revival like this world has never seen. What if, church, America right now is in that exact position? You see, right under our noses and our eyes, there is a mass murdering of our children. What if the Christians were to stand up with love and grace and America would experience revival because of God working through us like we've never seen in this country before? What if there's hope? And so enter Moses. And here we begin the story in Exodus 2. You can read along with me. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Remember that. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen. So there's an Israelite man and woman. They get pregnant. Not ideal timing. We find out in Numbers 26 that the father's name is Amram and the wife's name is Joshabed, the mother. Cool names, I know. They become pregnant, and they become pregnant with a son. Now, just humor me for a minute. Let's modernize this story, okay? Amram and Joshabed become pregnant. They have a baby shower, invite all of their closest Israelite friends to the baby shower, and then in the typical ridiculous gender reveal fashion like we do in 2020, 2021, a plane flies over their, their baby shower and it starts to spit out exhaust smoke and guess what? It's blue and there is no clapping because that is bad news. They just found out they're having the wrong gender and now she's going to have to kill her child and end his life. This is a scary place to be. And yet the Bible says that she looks down and she sees that he is a fine child. The word that's used in Hebrew there for fine is the word tov, and it's a word of approval. It means good. It's the same word used in creation when God created and he looked out and saw that it was tov, it was good. She looks down and she doesn't just see a liability. She sees a good child who has a potential and a future and a God destiny. So much so that she's willing to put her life on the line to save him. And it says that she hid him for three months. Now, I'm the oldest of 11 children, and if you don't know me, I'll say that again so it can sink in. I'm the oldest of 11 children, which meant in a lot of ways I got to be like a third parent, a second dad, if you will. As some of my younger siblings grew up, I, I got to help with that, and here's one thing I know about infants, especially those under three months. Their primary form of communication is this. <clears throat> right? Like hungry, happy, sad, tired. It doesn't matter. It's just screaming. Imagine now you are this Israelite mother and you're hiding this child for three months who at any moment could scream at just the wrong time and someone could overhear it and report you. And then all of a sudden, rather than just your baby's life being in trouble, guess what? Your whole family is too. Imagine the stress that she carried. And the Bible says that when she could hide him no longer, 
She did the only thing she could. See, Moses was literally born into quarantine and lockdown. <laughs> so she follows the order, though not exactly as it was meant to be followed. She places her son in the river, but first she puts him in a basket and she coats it with tar and pitch. And then she places it among the reeds. Now, anybody seen the Prince of Egypt movie? Yeah, a few of you. We're going to show some pictures. It did not happen exactly like this movie. In this movie, she lets baby Moses go, and he floats through the crazy Nile River and the waves, and the crocodiles and the hippos come, and then he just magically lands, nestled among the reeds. <laughs> That's not how this worked. No. She was very strategic in placing him among the reeds. Not only that, she sent her daughter to watch what would happen and report it back to her. I would probably submit that her daughter is there watching because she couldn't bear the thought of what might happen to her son in that moment. So she sent her daughter to report back to her. You see, when it comes to detours, this would have looked like a massive detour in Moses' life. You would not have looked at that basket in the river and gone, wow, that's a fine child. That's the leader of a nation right there. No, you probably would have thought that baby boy is probably not going to make it through the day. This was a big detour in Moses' destiny. And so the first thing when it comes to God's destiny on your life, you can expect detours. And there's two types you can expect. The first is this, unexpected detours. This was what happened to Moses in the basket. Unfortunately, following Jesus does not remove the hardships from your life. <laughs> and somebody said amen. Rather, Jesus said, in this world you will have troubles. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Maybe for some of you, 2020 was an unexpected detour. You were planning to get married this year, and then all of a sudden we can't gather with family and friends, and that got called off. You were planning to retire this year, and then all of a sudden there goes your income and your portfolio, and you're just not retiring anymore. Destiny's not happening. Maybe this was the year that you were going to get serious about your faith, and then the churches closed down, and that didn't happen either. Maybe 2020 was an unexpected detour for you. I have a friend named Rick. He was here in first service. And I just want to show you his story because 2020 was a very unexpected and serious detour in his life. Take a look at the screens. Hi, my name is Rick Heath. Uh, I've been married to my wife, Jan, for almost 45 years in February, this coming February. I've been uh, coming on and off to Lifestream uh, probably about... Four, four years, maybe five, just jumped in, and uh, now we're a part of the uh, security team and, and try to do some volunteer work when it's needed. Been in the martial arts for, it'll be 44 years in February. Uh, currently, I hold a ninth degree grandmaster, and I have a doctorate in martial arts. And it's just been a, a great journey. I got into it because I was a jock in high school, and after high school, it, Bowling and golf just didn't do it. And I was walking out of the movie theater at Studio 28, for those of you that are old enough to know that. There was a flyer on my vehicle, and I grabbed it and said, hey. My wife said, here we go. And I never looked back. Probably had thousands of students over the time, two locations. We started probably in the early 90s, I'd say, yeah, 91, 92. Uh, just taught out of Standale for many years until we uh, had an opportunity dropped in our lap um, to take over a martial arts school inside Allendale Gymnastics 
and then when uh, the gymnastics place closed, there was a place for rent across the street from uh, Lifestream, and uh, we opened up there and ran that for quite a few years until COVID hit. So the year, year 2020 started out great. We had a great 2019 season in martial arts. Uh, things were going great. Our student count was, was up mid-March hit, and we thought, well, it's just going to be a month or two. Well, it wasn't a month or two, and uh, we, had to, uh, we had to close the Allendale location. When we came to it and started pulling our students, they, uh, we lost 75%. So. We had to close the second location. It hurt losing a lot of good students. Um, it, uh, you know, I put my I put my heart into this, uh, my soul, and and so it was tough. It was tough, and uh, you know, some of those kids uh, I'll, I'll never, you know, might not ever see again. It's God's plan in, in, in all this, and uh, he's not done with me. And Standale Baptist, a lot of small churches were hurting at that time, too. And they approached us about moving downstairs twice a week. And he provided me a platform and a place, and uh, we've actually gained some students. So we thought, this is a God thing. He led us, he led us together. Every time I look down and I think it's my footprints, it's not. It's him. He's carrying me. He's carrying me through my troubles. This journey doesn't end with me losing both locations. This just begins another chapter. Life is a book. Life is a book. And it's just another chapter in, in my life uh, with karate, uh, my family, and my martial arts. Why don't we thank Rick for his story? A few weeks ago, maybe three or four, I was here before a service and I was walking the halls and chatting with Rick. The reason I was struck by his story is this. In many ways, he is still like Moses in the basket in the river. He hasn't seen the full fruition of this detour yet. And yet I was blown away by how a man who's poured decades and decades into building something, his heart and soul, like he said, only to have it lost in a moment, can still have such a faith and optimism and trust in God. I experienced an unexpected detour in my life, which didn't make sense in the moment. A couple of years ago, uh, Allison and I both did Bible college in Sydney, Australia, and it had been almost four years I had been living there, and we had plans to stay and to do this and that until we found out that my grandfather had cancer and he wasn't going to make it. This is him and my grandma. And we were torn with this decision of what do we do? Do we stick with our plan? Or do we head back home and hopefully make some memories with him before he passes away? And we chose the latter, and thankfully we were able to make some great memories with him before he passed away. However, we ended up in this place where we went, okay, God, we had this opportunity here, and we had this opportunity here and this one, but now we're here. Not just in our home country or state, but in our home city. And like, we're here, but now what? What are we going to do? This was not our plan, right? I can stand here, though, in faith and tell you that if not for that unexpected detour in my life, if not for God using what did not make sense to me, I would not be standing here on this stage preaching to you this morning. I would not be in the point in my relationship with God that I am. I would not be in the point in ministry that I'm in if not for God using an unexpected detour that did not make sense. You see, what we view in our lives as a setback, God often uses as a set up for our destiny. And this happened much the same in Moses' story, too. 
as we keep reading in verse 5, it says, Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe. Her attendants were walking along the riverbank when she saw a basket among the reeds and sent her female slaves to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. What a turn of events. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. It would have looked like a massive setback to Moses to be a small three-month-old floating in a river, but God used that towards his destiny. Now, rather than being a three-month-old with a hit on his head, now he's literally being raised by his own mother, safe, protected, and by the way, being paid for it by the enemy's own daughter. Some of you, you might need provision in your detour, and you're just striving in your own strength to get it. What if you were to place it in our God's hands? He's the one who can even bring provision to you through your enemy. How incredible is that? So all of a sudden, Moses is being set up. But there's a second type of detour that you might experience in your life, and that is a self-inflicted detour. This is when, through our sin or human nature or just selfishness, we intentionally take a step outside of the will of God for our lives. Like, we know it's bad, we know it's wrong, and yet we do it anyways. This happened to Moses too. Now he's being raised in the palace, and in verse 11 it says, One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, Why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, What I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Guys, Moses literally murdered a man. I don't know if it can get much worse than this when we're talking about removing yourself from God's will on your life. Now, rather than being in a place of authority and leadership in a palace, now he's in the wilderness, literally leading a few sheep. This is a massive detour in his life. And you see, I've been on both types. I've been on some unexpected detours, and I've been on some self-inflicted detours. Here's what I've learned. Let me give you some hope. Um, I'll give it to you in an example. I'm pretty good at directions, but from time to time, I'll use my GPS when I'm driving. And this has never happened to me, by the way. But let's just say that I'm driving down the highway and I miss an exit, or I take a turn that I'm not supposed to take. This has never happened to me. My GPS has never once said to me, you stupid idiot, I told you to take that turn, but no, you wanted to save a few extra minutes, so you took this turn, and look at where you are now, you're going in the wrong direction, I told you so. (laughs) My GPS has never done that. I told a joke in first service, and I said, that sounds a little bit more like my wife when I mess up in the car, because I thought she wasn't here, and then one of my youth leaders came up to me and said, you know, when you told that joke, it was funny, but your wife was sitting right behind me in the back, and I said, it was nice to meet, nice to know you, my friends, and that's how that went. No, my phone doesn't do that. If I take a wrong turn or miss an exit, my phone says this to me. It says, rerouting, simply rerouting. And just like that, it lines me back up 
in the course of my destination. Now, I might have lost a bit of time. I might have lost a bit of gas and might have to pay for that. Similarly, when you sin and when you do things that intentionally remove you from God's will, it might cost you some years. It might cost you some money or relationships or friends. But friend, the good news is you are always only one decision, always only one repentant prayer away from realigning yourself with God's purpose for your life. And some of you maybe in here online are like, yeah, but if you knew what I did, you wouldn't say that. <laughs> if you knew the things that I've done in my past that are holding me back, you wouldn't say that. Friend, let me tell you this. If God can use a murderer to lead a nation, he can use you. And wow, I thought that was going to get a bigger response in here. I thought you guys would say amen or something. If God can use a murderer to lead a nation, he can use you. So there's self-inflicted detours but let's look at it from God's perspective. Moses is thrown into a basket in the Nile River. This doesn't look good, and yet God uses that, though it was unexpected, to put him in a palace, to give him the best education and clothing and protection and, and understanding of the culture and the language of the Egyptians, because he knew he was going to need that, and then Moses messes up. All of a sudden, he's in the wilderness leading sheep, and God even uses that, because our God does not waste a detour. He's learning how to navigate the wilderness. He's learning how to lead. And right now, even though it might just be a few sheep, God is considering him to lead a nation. Do you believe that God is using the detours in your life to lead you towards the destiny that he has for you? Let's pick this back up in Exodus 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush doesn't burn up. I think that's pretty funny. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Everybody turn to your neighbor, the person you're sitting by, the person on your couch, and say, you need a wake-up call. Do it right now. You need a wake-up call. This is what happened to Moses. He made a mistake. It landed him in the wilderness guiding sheep, and then he settled there. He got used to something. He got used to being in his detour. He started to live in a place that he wasn't meant to, you see, he's tending the flocks of Jethro, his father-in-law. In other words, he has a job. He marries this girl named Zipporah and has a son named Gershom. In other, in other words, he has a family. He's settled down and maybe even forgotten about his calling. Maybe some of you identify with that. You're like, yeah, well, I used to have these dreams for my life. Friend, just because you may have forgotten about your dreams does not mean that God has. But for Moses, it took a burning bush to wake him back up. I wonder what it's going to take for you. <laughs> it literally took a bush on fire. I think it's so easy for us to get caught in the ease of routine and the trap of our comfort zone. Many of us maybe are just sleepwalking through our life because it's easy. Maybe you've been just working a job that you hate for decades because it's financially secure, even though you know God has better things for you. Maybe there's a girl in here or watching a young girl who you're dating a loser, <laughs> but at least you're not single. God has so much better things for 
you. Or maybe you've kind of walked away from your relationship with God because it's easier to watch Disney Plus or Netflix than to read your Bible. Yeah, let that sink in for a minute. Let me tell you this. If you are living for God in your comfort zone, maybe you're not actually living for God. God has a plan for your life, but what kind of burning bush moment is it going to take for you to realign where you're at with the destiny that God has for you? Maybe that moment is right now. If so, you don't have to take off your sandals like Moses, but make this a holy ground intentional moment. So through the remainder of chapter 3, God speaks from the burning bush and tells Moses the plan for Israel, but Moses isn't sure. You see, God says, I see your people, the Israelites. I see their sufferings, and by the way, I'm going to use you to lead them out. And Moses says, hold up, hold up. And in chapter 3, he says this to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And then he says this, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. I think that one's funny because in Acts chapter 7, Paul writes this about Moses. He says, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and powerful in speech and action. (laughs) Maybe it's just an excuse. I don't know. Either way, God replies with this. He says, who gave human beings their mouth? Moral of the story, do not argue with God. It won't end well for you. And still, Moses gives another excuse. In chapter 4, he says, has this question. He says, Moses answered, what if they don't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. I get it. Sometimes it's really hard to reroute back into the destiny God has for us when we've been living somewhere else. But I love the simplicity of God's response. He just says, what is that in your hand? In other words, what have I given you that you're already doing that you know how to do? I'm going to wrap it up with this, but I want you to help me out. I want to break it down into an equation that's so easy. So hold up your right hand, and we're going to say this. Destiny equals hand to heart. Try that one more time. Place your hand on your heart. Destiny equals hand to heart. Moses is like, IDK, God, I don't know about this. And God says, what is that in your hand? And he says, a shepherd's staff, a tool of my trade. It's nothing special. It's what I used to walk around with. I hit the sheep with it when they're getting out of line. I use it to pull them up when they fall down. It's just a simple tool of my trade. And God says, it's not ordinary. It's so much more. He says, watch what I can do with that staff if you're faithful with what I've given you. And then as Moses goes through his life, he says, throw it down on the ground and it'll become a snake and everyone will be amazed and say, surely you're Lord. And he'll say, hold it over the river and it'll turn to blood and hit the sea and it'll split and your people can cross. And he says, hit the rock in the desert when there's no water and water will come out in the middle of a desert. You see, when you're faithful with what God has placed in your hand, He'll use you in extraordinary ways to lead you to what he's placed in your heart. So think for a minute, what's in your hand? Maybe it's a college degree, or maybe it's a hammer and a nail gun, or maybe it's a house full of kids. Maybe it's a pen and paper. Are you being faithful with those things? And then secondly, what what is it that is in your heart? Maybe it's a business idea. Maybe it's a church plant. Maybe it's a home to be able to host people that looks nothing like the apartment you're living in right now. Maybe it's a book. I want to tell you, when you trust God with the mundane things in your hands, he will use them in extraordinary ways to lead you to what's in your heart. My favorite verse in the Bible, Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do infinitely and abundantly more than all we could ever ask or imagine. 
God knows the desires of your heart. He placed them there. And he wants you to walk in those. And while Moses was worried about leading a few sheep, God was considering him and raising him up to lead a nation. And while you're worried about paying your mortgage, God is considering you to pay employees and run an influential, significant business. And while worried, you're worried about your family and your household, God is raising you up to lead a church family. God has so much more for you. So I just want to end it with this simple encouragement and challenge. God has a destiny for your life. Don't let the detours derail your faith. I want to remind you and challenge you to wake up Realign yourself with the call that God has on your life. And finally, I want to encourage you, be faithful with the thing that God has placed in your hand. Because that's actually the thing he's going to use to lead you what he's placed in your heart. I'd ask you to all stand up with me. Um, I realize when we talk about destiny, that implies that there's a destination. And friends, there is. There's so much more than what we see on this side of eternity. Just yesterday... Pastor Jim was running a funeral on this stage for my friend Gene. And six weeks before, Gene was, he was climbing a mountain. Everything seemed to be fine, and yet yesterday, Pastor Jim is performing that funeral service on this stage. I wonder if something were to happen to you in six weeks, or even today, if you'd know what your eternal destination is. If not, I want to give you an opportunity this morning to meet our Lord Jesus, the one who came down to die for our sins so that we could be made right and spend eternity with him. I'd ask if you'd all just close your eyes. Nobody's looking around, but if that's you, and you'd say, yeah, I need to get my life right with God, I'd ask you if you'd just raise your hand right now. Nobody's looking around. And maybe you're watching online, you can do the same there. I'm going to ask if you would just pray this prayer with me to give your life to God. And you're not going to be alone. Our whole church family is going to pray together. We're not going to leave you out. So everyone together, if you would, pray with me. Dear Jesus, pray with me. Dear Jesus, this morning I give my life to you. I thank you for dying for my sins, for paying the price I never could, so that I could be made right with you. Jesus, I believe you are my Lord. And today I start following you. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Well, why don't we congratulate those people? If you made that decision today, why don't you come up and talk to one of us, and we're going to turn it to Pastor Jim for communion.